morning. Good morning. See the brother here. It's good to get to get us in this recording today. I'm so thankful for that. I've always said that every Lord's Day is beautiful, no matter what the weather is. Every Lord's Day is, is wonderful. Let me turn this on. You're good. You're good. You're good. It just went off. There it is. You're good. I say that. You're very good. If you're not already there in First Thessalonians chapter 4, the turning there in your Bibles, we're going to uh, visit that context here in just a couple of moments. So good to see everybody here. Let's uh, let's all remember Brother Kendall as he is away, conducting the gospel meeting, and we certainly pray and hope that much good will come from his efforts there with the uh, church in, uh, where is that again? Winfield, Kansas. So let's remember him. And on a personal note, I just want to express how thankful I am to be with this congregation. Everyone has been extremely kind and considerate to me. You have been an encouragement to me. And uh, men said, you know, we're going to put you to work. And, uh, and they told the truth on that. <laughs> it is... You know, I thought I was finished with preaching, you know, but but uh, just just kidding. I, I enjoy it very much, and it is an honor and delight for me to be able to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's all remember, as Dennis uh, mentioned just a moment ago, our friends and family day. And uh, you know, it's it's, uh, it's sometimes a little bit discouraging when you invite people and, and they say they're going to show up and and, and they don't. And it is something that we must not lose heart in, but but continue to invite people. I have invited friends and, and family, and I'm going to have to turn in my clothes now and start inviting them. <laughs> we, we should never run out of people to invite to, to be a part of our friends and family day. I know one thing, if we don't invite them, they will not come. So we need to remember that and pray for, for that effort. The Apostle Paul did not want the brethren to be ignorant of those who had fallen asleep, that is, those who had died in the Lord. And as you will notice there in uh, verse 13, I'm reading from the New King James. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others. Now notice this expression. Who have no hope. You know, the word hope is a word that is found very frequently throughout the New Testament. Today, you know, we, we use the word hope in a different sense than the way the word hope is used in the scriptures. You know, I might say, I hope to get a raise at work. Well, I might get that raise, or I might not. It is, you, you might even be optimistic about it, but really you're not completely sure that you're going to get that raise. Or I hope to get this 
president for a Christmas. Well, it might, it might not happen. And so it is something that you wish for, but you don't have any real certainty of the fulfillment. So that's the way we use the word hope today, isn't it? That is not the way the word hope is used in the scriptures. And I'm thankful for that because if you look at the way the word hope is used in the scriptures, it has to do, and I like what W.E. Vine says as he defines the original word, it means a confident expectation. A confident expectation. And there are a number of verses that would uh, substantiate that definition, such as Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, where the inspired writer talks about the nature of God and, and how it is impossible for God to lie. And, and because of that, he said, you know, we can lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And then listen to how the writer describes this hope that we have. It is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, did you get that? How our hope is described? It is an anchor of the soul. It is sure. It is steadfast. And then the companion passage over the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 2, says this, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. And then I like 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3, where Peter talks about how we have been born again, how we have been begotten again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that your hope and my hope, that is, if we are Christians, if we are children of God, if we have been born into God's family, we have a hope, but that hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. Now, how confident are you of the resurrection of Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I highly doubt that if you did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you would even be here today. So just as sure as we are of the resurrection of Christ, that is the type of hope we have. It is a confident expectation. It's going to happen, provided we are Christians and we live as faithful Christians until the Lord comes. And that's exactly what Paul discusses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's continue reading here in the context of this as we proceed into verse 14. So again, get in your mind what, what Paul said there in verse 13. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now that word asleep is a euphemism that simply means they have died. But he does not want them to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Why? Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And then he begins to explain himself in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, that is a key expression throughout this context. In Jesus, in the Lord, in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead, now here's this expression, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. And then you have to underline this, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That my friends, is the Christian's hope. Always be with the Lord. But what does it take to always be with the Lord? It takes, when you die, it takes you dying in Jesus. Dying in Christ. The implication cannot be missed in this context. Those who do not die in Jesus have no hope. Now, there in verse 13, when Paul said, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. I believe the New American Standard Bible says grieve. I don't want you to grieve as the rest do, who have no hope. Now, certainly the Apostle Paul is not condemning all sorrow and all grieving. We know when Lazarus died, what did Jesus do? He wept. He sorrowed. There was a grieving, even on the part of our Lord. But Paul defines here the type of sorrow, the type of grieving, He's talking about. He says, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. Why? Because you have hope. You have the hope that if your loved one has died in Jesus, that one day you're going to be reunited. You will have and you do have the hope of always being with the Lord. That's the hope of eternal life. Again, Titus 1 and verse 2. So there's a contrast made here, isn't there? Those who die in Jesus versus those who don't die in Jesus. Those who die in Jesus, what do they have? They have hope. Those who do not die in Christ, they have no hope. It's one or the other. I mean, every single accountable person who has ever lived, who is living today, or who will live in the future, when they die, if the Lord does not come back first, if they die, they will either die in the Lord, or they will die out of the Lord. There's no in-between. And so do you see that here in this context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? So what about those who have no hope? Let's, let's just break this down a little bit further. 
and uh, get very specific concerning those who have no hope. Let's jump over to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you are definitely familiar with these verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning with verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those, now listen to this, who do not know God. I'm going to stop right there just for a moment. Those who do not know God. Do they have any hope? There was a story told of a mother who had just lost her little child there in the hospital. And so while she was there in the hospital, she was sitting on a, a bench and she was just weeping uncontrollably. And so someone noticed her and couldn't help but go up to her and ask, why? The lady told this person she had just lost her little child. I mean, what, what can you say in a moment like that? But this person, you know, in, in trying to perhaps ease some of the pain, some of the suffering that she was dealing with at that time and to offer maybe some words of, of comfort said, you, you know, children are precious to the Lord and because of their innocence and their purity, you know, your child is in heaven. Where they can be comforted and be without pain. And you know, one day, as tears came to her eyes also, she said, you know, one day you can be reunited with your child. And the lady responded, she said, oh, but, but we, we don't believe in those things. say that lady had no hope. No hope of being reunited with her child ever again. She sorrowed like Paul described as some, even as those who know. I think about Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Those who have no hope are those who do not know God. But Paul is not finished here in verse 8. He says something else, doesn't he? And 
on those who do not obey what? The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very next verse, verse 9 says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glorious power. Those who do not obey the gospel of Christ, do they have any hope? They don't. This ought to be one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible for those who have never obeyed the gospel. It ought to send chills up and down your back. It does not get any plainer than what it says right here. If you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, this is not being saying this, this is not any man saying this, this is Almighty God. And in the clearest of terms, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ have no So those who do not know God, they don't have any hope. Those who do not obey the gospel of Christ, they don't have any hope. So let's look at it further then. Those who have no hope are those who live wickedly and immoral. Now, I just want to give you three contexts very quickly. You may want to jot these down or if you're taking notes because I'm going to go through them rather hurry. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. Now, we expect people of the world to live ungodly, don't we? We see it every day. But when Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 7, who was he talking to? Christians are not Christians. He was speaking to Christians. He was directing this to them. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 uh, through 7. He says, But fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know. That no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. And then Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Here the Bible says, Therefore put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. If you live like this, you have no hope of heaven. And he was speaking to members of the church. And then Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 says this. 
But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. No hope. If you live like that. You can obey the gospel of Christ. You can become a member of the church. That doesn't mean once saved, always saved, does it? How many so-called Christians engage in these sins today? <laughs> you better do some self-examination right now. Now, I would hope and pray that is not characteristic of anybody here. But I know this, Paul was writing to Christians. John was writing to those who were Christians in Revelation 21, verse 8. And it's a stern warning that it matters how we live our lives. But let's look at a, another one about those who have no hope. Now, this is one that many people in our religious world like to dismiss. And that is those who have no hope are those who worship wrongly. Is any worship acceptable to God? I heard one so-called theologian say one time, and this is so common to hear, he said it doesn't make any difference how you worship God, just as long as you're sincere and genuine. doesn't matter what you do. Is that what your Bible teaches? John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we know that Jesus said God desired true worshipers to worship him. And since he spoke of true worshipers, that implies there is such thing as false worshipers. But those who are true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You know, I think about the example of Nathan and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. What did they do? The Bible says they offered strange fire or profane fire unto the Lord, which he did not command. And what happened to them? Fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. I think about Cain's worship in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and his offering were rejected by God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 15 verse 9 about worship? He said, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If you worship contrary to what the New Testament teaches, is that pleasing to God? If you do that which is not pleasing to God, how can you expect to have the hope of eternal life? Over the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 23, it talks about infant worship. I know I'm going through this early because I don't want to preach an hour. <laughs> but ignorant worship, Colossians 2, 23, you can look these passages up, you know, jot them down. Will worship. Colossians 2, verse 23, speaks of what is will worship? Well, it's exactly as it implies. It's worshiping according to my own will, the way I want to worship. 
What about those who do not abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ? Do they have any hope? Second John verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Can you not have God and still have the hope of eternal life? What is the significance of no hope? You ever thought about that? What is the real significance of having no hope? You know what depression is? De depression has been defined as the absence of hope. People live in a state of depression because, you know, they they uh, feel like all hope is seemingly gone. And what do many do? They take their own lives. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I do want to turn to this in Ephesians chapter 2. What does it mean to have no hope, spiritually speaking? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Paul said, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, look at verse 12, that at that time you were without who? Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now get this. Having no hope. And without God in the world. That is a frightening picture. Is it not? So spiritually speaking. If you have no hope. And you can be sitting here right now. And you not have any hope whatsoever of heaven. But spiritually speaking, it means, it means that you are without Christ. It means that you are without God. It means being separated from the blessings of God that are in Christ, as Ephesians 1 3 speaks about. It means no hope of heaven. A person out of Christ has no hope. Again, going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we looked at just a moment ago. Those who do not die in Christ do not have any hope. So, we think about what depression is, the absence of hope. And, you know, that's a, that's a terrible thing. And I, I have never felt that before in my life. Now, we don't get depressed from time to time. I'm not talking about that. You know, life gets you down. I'm talking about when people get so depressed and they live every single day in that state of depression. They, they feel like all hope is just gone. There's nothing left to live for. But as long as a person is still alive in their right mind, they have breath in their body. There is hope for them. 
is hope for those who would find Jesus and submit to his will. There is a place, though, where there really is no hope that is forever gone. You know what that place is? What the Bible calls heaven. Every person who finds themselves in hell will be in a state of eternal depression. Souls will be so overcome with overwhelming depression in hell that they wish they could die but never can. The depression will go on forever and ever and ever. So having no hope is to be in a state of eternal despair. That's really what hell is all about. Despair. Hopelessness. No hope of ever getting out. No hope of a second chance. Second Thessalonians 1 and verse 9 that we just looked at a moment ago. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His Christ. That is a frightening thing, isn't it? You know, there was a story told of a diver who was exploring some underwater caverns, I believe down in the, the state of Florida back several years ago. And as he was exploring these caves and doing research, he became disoriented. And he became lost in those caves. Now you just try to imagine that. And so, you know, he's, he's frantically trying to find his way out before his oxygen tank ran out of air. He didn't find his way. But he had some type of underwater writing instrument. And just right before his oxygen tank ran out of air, he, he wrote on the side of his tank, no hope. No hope. I could not even begin to imagine being in that situation. But there is an even worse situation to be in. You remember the account of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16? Both the rich man and Lazarus died. Both went to the Hadean realm, which is the realm of departed spirits. There are two compartments in the realm of Hades. Lazarus was in that place known as Abraham's bosom, where he was comforted. Oh, the rich man was in that place in Hades called, remember, torments. Take a look at Luke chapter 16 for a moment. I want to show you this here in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning with uh, verse 24. 
Luke chapter 16, verse 24, the rich man cried and he said, uh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember. That's all he's been really interested in. That word remember. Remember what? That you in your lifetime received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You see, the rich man could remember everything that had went on while he was living on earth. One of the most powerful things about heaven, the capacity to be able to still remember, remember, remember for all eternity. All of the opportunities I had to make the life right, but I did not. All of the gospel sermons that I heard, all of the invitations to respond to the gospel and become a Christian, a child of God, but I didn't do it. Can you imagine remembering those things for all eternity? You want to talk about depression? That's hell. And the rich man was tormented in that flame. And there in verse 26, listen to what Abraham said. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who would want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there to us. Now that word fixed is a perfect tense verb, which means it was fixed in the past, and it can take it. it will always be fixed in the present. It's always there. It, it will always be the case that you can never, it, it's forever fixed. You cannot cross from one side to the other. Proverbs 11, 7 says, the hope of the unjust perishes. I heard Brother Tom Holland tell a story one time that he had received a frantic call from the hospital of a lady who was about to die. And she wanted to speak to him. Brother Holland said, I didn't know this lady at all. Didn't know her at all, but he said, you know, I went down there to the hospital and I met her and uh, we talked for just a minute. But the lady said to him, Brother Holland said, she, she said this to him. She said, Preacher, I am not afraid to die. I'm afraid to face God. And he said with those words, she's gone. didn't even know this lady at all, but he said he went back after his car and just sat there and waited. And then what did he do? 
No hope. Is that how you want to die? No hope? You know, on earth, there's always the opportunity. Again, if you are in your right mind, if you have breath in your body, if you are alive here today at the age of accountability, there is the opportunity for you to change your situation. You can go right here today from having no hope to having hope. How thankful we need to be for the love and the grace and the mercy of God. That he has permitted us to live another day. If we're not in a right relationship with him. You see, you may know about Dante's Inferno piece. There, there is a line in there that says at the entrance of hell, quote, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And that's exactly what happens. If you die out of Christ. Someone wrote this as an epitaph concerning those who have no hope. Our pleasure came before God. We chose to dance and play. We lie now beneath our sod in eternity we must now, can you imagine having that inscribed on your tombstone? It might as well be because that's exactly how many people have died. They've left this world no hope. But Paul says, I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who do not have hope. If you die today, die today, I want to ask you, would you die in hope of eternal life? Or would you die in hopelessness? What is your spiritual condition here today? You need to know about the gospel. We hear about people Dying every day up and down these roads. Right? People just falling over dead at home on a massive heart attack. We don't know what's going to happen. And surely that is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, right now, today. What are you going to do about it? Do you want to have hope? Do you want to live for the one who saved your soul from a devil's hell? What's it going to be? The choice is yours. You need to respond to the invitation here today. We love you. We encourage you to. If you did that in the past, but yet you strayed away, you're not living as the Lord would have you to live. You're not pleasing him. You need to recognize that you have no hope in that condition. You need to repent. You need to confess. We will pray with you and for you. We will do everything that is right and good according to the will of God to encourage you to help you get to heaven. And that is why we are here, to help one another get to heaven.
you need to respond, why not do that right now? And together we sing. And that is what?